You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Odson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel with me as always on the show, Monday edition, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, whenever you listen to the show. Thank you for listening. I want to remind you, today is the last day. It's Cyber Monday. Uh, take 75% off an annual VIP membership, just $26.85 for an entire year's worth of VIP membership to DuckTerritory.com. Inside Scoop Expert Analysis. Read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network. This ensures that for $26.85, you get all of the rest of this football season. So Cal this week, Washington the week after that, whoever Oregon plays in the seventh game of the year, plus a bowl game that Oregon has qualified to, to play in. You've got National Signing Day for recruiting for football. You also have men's and women's basketball, which is kicked off. You also have spring football, and you have the entire regular season of the 2021 football season all wrapped up with this membership for less than $27 for an entire year. Insane deal. Highly encourage you to take advantage of that today. It's, it goes away after today. Uh, 75% off an annual membership to DuckTerritory.com. All right, Eric. Um, 38-41 victory for Oregon State in the game formerly known as the Civil War. And while we're not going to run through a bunch of the, the plays that happened and uh, you know rehash that, I don't think Duck fan wants to relive that horror that happened on Friday uh, in Corvallis. Uh, but we are going to look at maybe some positional units and look at what who played well, who did not play well, what was surprising on either direction. And let's start with the negative stuff first. Um, what what unit do you feel like just did not perform at a level that we were expecting uh, and was really disappointed in, you know, after reviewing the game? I'm just the entire defense. Like, like <laughs> I did. I mean, I, I gave him an F grade. And this is the first time I've ever done this um, for the entire defense, every position group, the defense as a whole. And, and you know, you can probably, I, I think you could argue that I, I would say of those groups, maybe the secondary played the best overall. But I would also say when the game was on the line and Oregon State needed to make some plays in the passing game, boy, did they have no problem doing that. And I thought the coverage was extremely soft. I think some of, I mean, from a schematics perspective, and we'll speak with Andy Avalos later on Monday, um, some kind of puzzling stuff in terms of how they chose to defend an Oregon State receiving core, which really hasn't shown to be very good in the past. And I think you kind of come away confused with that. Um, the defensive line just wasn't very good. They got pushed off, pushed off the line all night. I mean, very few instances was there any sort of, you know, penetration. Many plays made in the backfield. Jamar Jefferson almost almost always seemed to be three to four yards downfield before first contact. But the linebackers had some decent moments. You think about the turnovers on downs. That, that Oregon forced Oregon State there with two minutes or so to go in the game. And it felt kind of like, okay, Oregon's going to win here. Um, Noah Sewell makes two big plays, first a tackle for loss in the backfield, um, and then a tackle on a short pass. And then Isaac Slaymato Atia breaks up the pass on fourth down to, to force the turnover and downs. And it kind of feels like, okay, they're back in business here. But then it just it went south again from there. And it just never, 
was not a very good performance to allow 41 points to Oregon State in a rivalry game when Oregon State had not shown that kind of offensive ability to that point this season, especially in the passing game, was really disappointing. I, I just think overall you look at this and you go, they didn't tackle very well. They didn't force any turnovers. They allowed Oregon State to have chunk plays in the run game. They allowed Oregon State to have chunk plays in the passing game. The defense is, as a whole was just a failure in this game. And you look at it now and go, that's consecutive weeks where Oregon has allowed an opposing offense, which should not be able to move up and down the field, to just move up and down the field. UCLA had a backup quarterback and scored 35 points. And that was alarming, but we kind of – you can make the excuse of, hey, well, it's Chip Kelly. He's really innovative. Chase Griffin is a new quarterback. They only had like roughly maybe 24, 48 hours to prepare for that possibility. Um, they had to scramble. Okay, maybe that's why UCLA was able to keep it close. But this Oregon State team, there was none of that. I mean, I don't think there was a whole lot that we saw from Oregon State that was surprising. I thought they kind of showed they were who they thought they were. I think that's a, is that a Herman Edwards quote. Um, and, and they were, you know, and Oregon just couldn't couldn't stop them. And when the game was the line and Oregon needed to get a stop, they couldn't get it done. And I think that was really disappointing. So the whole defense to me was a failure um, and a disappointment. And now you go into a week against Cal who is another mediocre at best offense. I think Oregon State's better than Cal based upon their head-to-head performance, but also just upon what Cal has done against UCLA where they scored 10 points and against Stanford where they scored 23, where I'm going, okay, this is maybe the worst offense Oregon is going to face all season. They better play well. But is it going to matter? And is is Cal probably not going to just come out and have another – is it going to be another offense that isn't very good that comes out and and performs really well? I think we'll, we'll see. My confidence level is very, very low just in this group as a whole right now and how they're going to perform. Yeah, that was a game against Oregon State. The defense gave up 532 total yards, 263 on uh, through the air, 269 on the ground. Um, Jamar Jefferson, 29 carries, 226 yards, two touchdowns, averaged 7.8 yards per carry. Uh, they ran for four touchdowns, Wash- uh, Oregon State did. Jefferson got one, Tristan Jebia got one, and then Nolan Chance, uh, Chance Nolan, excuse me, he he also got a touchdown run, the game-winning touchdown run. Um, you you look at this, and uh, Oregon State was five of six in red zone situations. They had the ball for 34 of the minutes of that football game. On third down, they were six of 16, which is not awesome, not terrible, but then you factor in the fact that they were also four of six on fourth down plays. And so in 22 situations uh, when Oregon could have gotten off the field with a stop, uh, about half of them resulted in you know being converted, which is not good news if, if you're the Oregon defense. So uh, not surprising that you gave out such horrific grades, and you're right about you know the upcoming game with Cal um, and the importance of that for Oregon playing well. Who what what position did play well? What what what? What was a grade that you gave out that was a positive for uh, Oregon in, in, in this game against Oregon State? I thought the pass catchers, once again, showed up. I mean, you think about that first drive. Jalen Red has a really impressive run around the edge, score a 37-yard touchdown. Devin Williams later in the first half, a 60-yard touchdown. Hunter Campmoyer catches another short touchdown. And Oregon, I, I gave that group a B plus, and that was about as high as I could – really figure to go in a losing effort and you go back and watch and I know Devin Williams missed a crucial block on a sec. I think it was the first or second down um, play on the drive where Oregon could kind of salt it away and ice it. 
and they don't. But overall, I think you come away going like, this is the, I think this is right now, the wide receivers and tight ends have been the most consistent group on the team. And I don't, I know I didn't expect to say that because coming out of fall camp, it was the group where it was probably the lowest confidence level. And a lot of credit goes to new wide receivers coach, Brian McClendon, I think, to Bobby Williams, who coaches tight ends, to Joe Moorhead, who runs the offense of just, this group is really solid. We knew they had two really good players back at wide receiver in Jalen Red and Jaya Johnson. They both produced very well in that game. I know Jalen didn't have quite as many receptions, but you know he had that big, like I said earlier, that the, the first touchdown of the game. He also had a couple key catches throughout. Jaya right. Johnson, five catches for 50 yards. Devin Williams also reaches the 100-yard mark again. Um, and then tight end is a group where they only have two healthy guys. And first two weeks, it was DJ Johnson. He was the only one available. He played really well. And now I think in consecutive weeks, Hunter Campmore really solid again. He had three catches for 42 yards and the last touchdown there. So I think you look at that group and say, hey, they're not dropping the ball. They're consistent. The one thing that's been consistent for this whole season for Oregon is the ability to throw it. I know there have been some turnovers. I know Tyler Shuck has had a, I had a tough night overall. I mean, I think he started really, really well. But he made two really bad choices with the football to turn it over. The second one really bit them led to the first Oregon State lead of the game. But that's not on the receivers. You go watch it, and I think it's just a bad read there. And then Tyler said after the game he was expecting that Johnny Johnson's route was going to clear out that defender, and that defender did not go with Johnny and kind of just hung, hung, you know, hovered over there and, and picked it off. So I think that group played well. You know, and I think to me going forward, this is the group that keeps Oregon competitive, and I did not expect this to be the case. I thought the run game was going to be what – yeah, in the first two weeks it was. The run game was fantastic. I think they had 269 yards in both games. These last two weeks there hasn't been a whole lot of success on the ground, but the, uh, the offense has continued to hum pretty well. And again, you look at this game. The offense did not lose Oregon this game. Of course, right. if, they, if they would have picked up a first down or two at the end, it's, we're not talking about a loss, and we're not feel, this isn't quite as agonizing. Oregon's 4-0. At the same time, you score 38 points. You gain almost 500 yards of total offense. You give your team a two-score lead in the fourth quarter. You should win those football games. Yeah, I mean, we can we could argue how bad that final drive was for Oregon. It was you know, bad. They, just, they took like twenty eight seconds off the clock. It was was horrific. But you score thirty eight points in this game. You go for four sixty eight of total offense, two eighty five through the air, one eighty three on the ground, uh, twenty three first downs. You average seven yards per play, fourteen yards per completion. Um, you go four for four in red zone opportunities. This is a game in which you should have won. And look, we, we could argue that three turnovers is costly for Oregon, but OSU only scored eight points off those turnovers. Um, if we want to be really critical here, um, I, I, I think of the, of the offense, I think Oregon's decision – with 46 seconds to go in the second half or in the first half to kick a 33 yard field goal was maybe before the final play was really my only big, big gripe with the offense. Um, it, they, they, I think it was, they faced a fourth and two and I would have gone for it knowing where you were in the, in that second quarter, um, I, I would have gone for it. You got to the OSU 10-yard line on a third and four Travis Dye run for two yards, and it's fourth and two at the OSU 10. 
I, I would have gone for it. Knowing your offense was performing the way it was in that first half, um, how close you were. I understand you needed to test Kettleman out, but you look at this and, and you see a situation in which Oregon loses his football game by three points. They kicked a field goal. If, if they would have scored a touchdown on that drive, uh, this game would have been different. Oregon would have won um, 42 to 41. It, it would have been a different story of a, of a football game. But one play doesn't make a, a win. One play doesn't make a loss. I'm not going to gripe too much about that. Um, when we come back from break, let's discuss maybe what's next for Oregon football and what what do we feel like are things that Oregon can get cleaned up relatively quickly and how can you know this program prevent this loss from becoming two losses or three losses coming up next on the Autzen Audible's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me as always. And Oregon is now 3-1 and one on the year. Um, it looked like late Saturday night that they were going to maybe have this loss do nothing for them in terms of the standings because Washington was potentially going to lose to Utah, probably should have lost to Utah at home. Yeah. Uh, the Utes choked. And so now Oregon, uh, they sit half a game back of the Huskies who are 3-0, and but Oregon knows that they, control, they still control their destiny. They have to play Washington in two weeks. As long as that game is played, and Oregon doesn't lose before that to Cal. Uh, Oregon will control their destiny. They, they beat Washington. They regain control of the Pac-12 North. And they they represent the North in the Pac-12 championship game against the, the Southern Division team. Now, what does Oregon have to do to get there? What, does, what are the issues that need to get fixed? And I think, Eric, for you and me, the, the most obvious one, at least for my eyes, is they got to figure out, in particular, this run defense, um, a, a, an area in which going into the year, everyone, myself, you're, you, everyone that's covered this team, that covers this conference, that covers college football, felt like Oregon's defense was going to be one of the better units in the country. They were going to be stout up front. They had maybe some defections from opt-outs uh, in the secondary, but up front at least, uh, Oregon had the opportunity to be 
one of the better front sevens in college football still, and that has not been the case. Uh, rushing defense, they are 10th in the conference. They are allowing 5.44 yards per play. You want to look at that from um, a national perspective, and they are 104th in the country in yards allowed per game over just over 200. And then you want to look at their average number uh, per carry. And you see a team that's 112th in the country. Uh, Oregon State is just ahead of them. Stanford is just below them. Washington State is just below them. Uh, You have programs like Massachusetts, UNLV, Kent State, Akron, Charlotte, North Texas, uh, Louisiana, Monroe, just a couple notches below Oregon. Then you have programs like Middle Tennessee, Florida International, Eastern Michigan, Texas State, you have Temple, you have Ohio, you have South Alabama, you have, you have. Uh, let's keep going up the list here a little bit, Rice, Southern Mississippi, all programs that are considerably better than Oregon in run defense. And for me, the what I'm going to ask Mario Cristobal post, you know, when we speak to him later on Monday is, the most surprising thing with this defense is that their inability to stop the run this year when everyone kind of expected them to be good at it. And we saw this happen a couple times against UCLA and it came up again against Oregon state, especially late in the game in goal line situations, Oregon's defensive line is lining up sometimes a full yard back of the line of scrimmage. And oftentimes only having one or two guys with their hands on the ground, everyone else standing up, giving up their leverage in a clear run position, that's mind-boggling to me. I, I'm with you. I, I don't understand the schematics of that. It's not something that I remember seeing at all last year um, with the same defensive coordinator, with basically the same personnel. Um, I think it's pretty baffling, and, and you're right. I mean, like, we, and we talked about it after the loss on Friday. Oregon, I think, allowed, what, six rushing touchdowns all of last year, five. They've allowed ten already in four games this year. And when you get the ball near the goal line in the past, and I know this isn't totally fair because Oregon did to their credit force three efforts from about a yard away from Oregon state to win it there. Sure. But when you get the ball close to the goal line, it's not, you don't feel great about them getting a stop. I mean, yeah, UCLA pounded it in a couple of times from close. Um, Stanford pounded it in a couple of times from close. Oregon state obviously pounded in numerous times from close and, and it, it, you're right. It's, it's baffling. It's confusing. I think part of me wonders here from a personnel perspective, are they playing a couple of seniors that don't, shouldn't be playing right now? Cause they're just not playing very well. Or is this more, I mean, like, and this is what's hard to tell just from watching it is like how much of this is schematic and how much of this is like, are Jordan Scott and Austin Fallu just not getting it done and they should play some of these freshmen and sophomore more. Um, you know, and I, I, I hate to say that with Jordan, but it's, it feels like his best season was his sophomore season a couple of years ago. And he's just kind of, he's kind of regressed a little bit. And I know he's been an incredibly influential player for this defense from a leadership perspective. If you ask Oregon, you know, players who's, who's kind of leading that defense and he's one of the first names that comes out and that's great. But I don't think you've seen from a production perspective much from him. And it's been a little bit dis- disappointing. Certainly. And I know Austin Folio dropped some weight. I mean, the thing is that these guys all kind of cut some weight this offseason. And part of me thinks, was that a mistake? Or, or, I mean, 
should they have not, you know, has that impacted their ability to, to make some, some plays at the line of scrimmage? Are they getting pushed because they're just lighter? Um, and, you know, and I think that's something to be aware of too, is Jordan Scott's lost like about 30 pounds since he first enrolled here. Great from him from a health perspective. I just kind of wonder, is that, in, you know, adversely impacted him at the line of scrimmage? So, I mean, all of this is confusing. And, and I also wonder, like, if, if you're playing Oregon State and you know they're going to run it a lot, there's so much talk this offseason about those, you know, about like a four down lineman front. I don't think we saw that hardly at all against Oregon State. We saw it was three down linemen almost exclusively. And it just seemed like there was a lot of gaps to run through. And it puts a lot of pressure on that second level of the linebackers. And, and frankly, the linebackers continue to make mistakes, too, in those run fits. I mean, if you go back and watch the long touchdown run, I, there was a mistake there. You go watch the other Jamar Jefferson runs that were of 20 plus yards. And there were a couple of them. And it just seems like the linebackers kind of get washed away and, and are lost. And that provides a lot of space. And now you're looking at the secondary to try to make plays in space. And I, it's just not very good. And, um, you know, and, and another thing that continues to just be very alarming, I know we're just running through stuff here, but I think that's kind of the point is they just aren't very, they don't tackle well at all. So many missed tackles over and over again. It's a, it's a trend every week. And that was not an issue last year. And I know it's been an odd off season and I know there's some reason to maybe let up on some of the love tackling perspective and practice because you don't want to hurt players. You want to make sure that you can keep guys healthy, et cetera. Um, you had a limited fall camp, but it seems like some, some they've regressed in areas that I didn't expect them to regress. And I know it felt not absurd in the, in, in the slightest to think, okay, the secondary lost a lot of guys and they did, right? I mean, you lost, some key players to opt outs. And I think we overlooked a little bit of that of like, is Nick Pickett really as good as Brady breeze? Clearly he's not. Is Jamal Hill going to be good as Javon Holland? Absolutely not. Mikhail Wright to me has been a continues to be a bit of a disappointment considering we kind of were like, well, maybe he'll challenge Thomas Graham and Deion really in order to start. Well, it's pretty clear. He's a, 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 a step back from those players, but the part that's really kind of baffling and confusing is, is that defensive line is everybody's back basically. Yeah. And, Linebacker, the Troy Dye loss, the Bryson Young loss, maybe those hurt. I, I think, obviously, Isaac Slade-Matoitia hasn't been Troy Dye. And I don't, again, I don't want to throw, I don't want to just continue just to rag on guys. Mace Foon has been a huge, a huge disappointment. I think he's a real weak point in, the, in, in that second level, too. Um, and that's been really surprising considering I thought he performed really well at times last year. But clearly, there's some stuff he needs to work on for being an every down linebacker or, or stud. But I'm just I'm with you, Matt. I'm confused. I thought this was going to be a really strong defense this year, and then you look up statistically, and they're either the second to third to fourth worst defense in the Pac-12 right now. And I did not expect to be saying that four games in. And it's honestly the fact that Oregon's three and one and could be four and zero with the defense this bad. It, that that says a lot about how good this offense has been at times too. I'm I'm not expecting the tackling to get solved this year. Um, no. With two weeks to go in the regular season plus that seventh game and then a bowl game or whatever of sorts. I'm not expecting Oregon's tackling all of a sudden to go from being quite honestly atrocious to good. Um, that's just too big of a leap. Now what I could see happening is you see some marked improvements. It gets a little bit more consistent. It's not going to be amazing though, but where Oregon can really help themselves is better understanding of scheme, better understanding of scout, better understanding of what they're facing in time of down and distance and putting yourself in a position where 
if you do have four or five guys rallying to the football instead of one or two, and the odds are more in your favor that, yeah, maybe the first guy misses the tackle, but the second and third and fourth guy finish off the play and a three-yard run doesn't turn into a nine or 10 or a 15-yard run. Uh, it stays at three or four yards. Um, so I, I think that's where Oregon can make the better, you know, their improvements is having more guys rallying to the football, finishing plays off. The tackling, I'm not expecting to all of a sudden become 2019 levels where in a one-on-one situation, there was no doubt that the, 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 the duck defender was going to get the guy down. Like last year, you just knew it didn't matter who it was, who the opponent was in a one-on-one situation. You were going to be. You would be shocked if Oregon didn't win the play and and get the guy down. Doesn't mean they're not. They weren't going to gain yards. Doesn't mean the the, the ball carrier was going to fall forward and get an extra couple of yards. But Oregon wouldn't miss. They would wrap up. They would either hold him until the rest of the team could come and finish off the play, or the guy would go down and the Ducks would live another day. This season it's different. Oregon just flat out misses tackles. I'm not expecting that. But to, to drastically improve, but I do think it's it's reasonable to expect this defense to be better prepared, better on you know a better understanding of their own scheme and their own defense of what what their jobs are. And I I think you need to start playing the guys that are are performing at a high level and and cut the rotation short for because if guys aren't aren't up to speed and, and are guessing and are making mistakes they can't see the field anymore you you're at a point now where you can't afford you know big mistakes like that anymore and you have to slip you know maybe slim down the rotations a little bit and i'm with you um i, I think jordan scott is a tremendous football player but he is not playing well this season and may maybe we need to see what someone else can do and you don't you, you hate to say that, and I, I really don't want to call for, for Jordan Scott being replaced in the starting lineup, but at the same time, it's week four now, and Oregon's issues are still popping up along the defensive line. Holes are being created, and you wonder what, what's wrong. And maybe it's not a Jordan Scott issue. Maybe, he's, maybe we don't know, but maybe he's doing something that he's being asked to do, and other players aren't doing their jobs. Yeah. And it's and it's and the byproduct of that is making it look like he's not doing his job. I don't know, but what we do know is the front seven needs to play better, and it's not just Jordan Scott. Austin Folio needs to play a hell of a lot better. Um, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is, is a guy that's playing well. It's, the production numbers don't show it, but I think he's playing good. But even even Kayvon probably needs to play better for Oregon, and the the rotations that come in as well also need to see better results for Oregon offensively, Eric. I think the simplest one here is don't turn the football over. Like, like that, that's for me a a huge issue for Oregon offensively, because from a turnover margin standpoint, they're one of the worst teams in the country. They are 117th with a negative five turnover margin. They lose the turnover battle per game at 1.25 turnovers per game. Nine total turnovers um, lost. They've only forced, I believe, four total turnovers. That all came in one game, too. Uh, yeah, it came against <laughs> UCLA. Um, yeah. It didn't bite them too much against Oregon State. did result in eight points. And you could argue, hey, look, three turnovers, you, you cut that down to two. 
and you eliminate that scoring opportunity, it's 38-33 uh, Oregon at the end of the game. Um, turnovers, they have to stop. They have to, whether it's Tyler Shock throwing interceptions or it's Oregon running backs fumbling the football. Oregon has to, to cut these down. And it's and it's and it turnovers are are things you can control. No doubt about it. You know, I, I you take away the UCLA game where they have a plus three turnover margin and they're literally minus eight the other three games without forcing a single turnover. And so this is like it's a dual thing here in terms of it's also the defense needs to force turnovers. Yep. I thought Oregon State was ripe for the picking. I mean, Tristan Jibia was throwing picks left and right in the previous games and Oregon can't. I don't even think they got close all night, you know, and, and, and again, it was pretty baffling. I think even just how few of those passes were really contested in the air by Oregon defensive players. Like it just almost seemed like they gave a huge cushion to those guys. And I, I know some of those players are capable of making plays and breaking tackles. We saw Washington state and, and, and UCLA for that matter break a lot of tackles in the open field and, and bust some big plays just because Oregon missed those tackles. I don't know if they were cognizant of that with Trevon Bradford and Colby Taylor of like, okay, it's, they keep them in front of us. But the result was a lot of easy receptions for big yards and no, really no attempts to, you know, no really possibility of, of forcing an interception. And then, yeah, when if we're focusing primarily on the Oregon offense, it's Tyler Shuck is, He's turned the ball over too much. Yep. Some of the decisions have just been really poor. And I know he owned that after the game, and, and I would expect that'll be something that improves. And, and we also have to know this is a young quarterback. This is his first start, starting season. You, you know, the Oregon State game was his first rivalry game. Um, it's not totally surprising that he's struggling or having a couple of mistakes here or there. I think for the most part, like you take away a couple of bad throws each game, and you're like, he's on point. He's really good in the RPO. He's a good decision maker there. Um, he, you know, of course, he has a couple mistakes as well in, the, in that part. But like from a throw the ball downfield perspective, there have been times where it's kind of like, is that should he be throwing there? I mean, I I don't know if it changes the game or not, but I think the first play when they get the ball back with about thirty seconds in regulation with Oregon State up, he has Johnny Johnson running down the middle of the field for what's probably like an eighty-five yard touchdown, and instead he throws it. Maybe no, it was, I think it was Devin Williams open down the middle of the field and instead he throws it to Johnny, who's in double coverage. It's like if he throws it to the right guy there, it could have the game. I mean, Oregon might have won the game in just incredible fashion. Um, you know, and even if it doesn't result in a touchdown, it probably results at least in a field goal try for Cattleman. So some of the decision making needs to be better. And, and, and I know this was the first game without a fumble by a running back. And the three turnovers is a little misleading because one of them came on the very last play on that hook and ladder True. thing. True. But so it was really two turnovers. And but but the, this is the first time without a, a running back fumbling all season, but I still, I still get a little bit anxious every time I see Travis Dye coming through the pile just because he's fumbled it. And, I, and every time they run a little bit of those, you know, the mesh plays there, I get a little nervous too because they've just had, I think, two of the – they've had five, you know, five turnovers on run plays. Two of them have just been, you know, mistakes with the kind of – should Shuck keep it? Should he give? It, should he keep it in the running back stomach kind of deal? Um, and then the other three have been a couple have been kind of funky. Uh, we're just I'm on, I mean Cyrus's one in the first game was like he just was like a no contact. He just kind of lost the ball. But like that needs to be better too. And I think the running backs in general, just like Travis Dye has Travis Dye is the best, team's best running back right now. I don't. I mean, I mean, I know that's not totally fair because CJ had a couple good games, but like the last two games. 
pretty clear that Travis Dye is the most explosive player and that he's the one getting the job done. Um, the issue with him is I just don't have a ton, a ton you know, I don't have a hundred percent confidence in him not fumbling it because he has a history with that. So they need to be better there. They need to minimize that. I think that part is something that you can make improvements on, you know, protecting the football is something you can improve upon making better decisions as a quarterback is something you can improve upon. And, and I think this Cal defense hasn't exactly been forcing a ton of turnovers. They're also negative two in the turnover margin. They've only they played one fewer game, but like this could be a game where Oregon could win that. In fact, I put in my five predictions for the week up on duckterrector.com. It's a VIP story. So again, take advantage of that 75% off offer today because it is running out. Well, I just uh, actually real quick on that. I, we got but, an email that there was an error on 24 seven side in the, um, Terms and conditions disclaimer that said the deal would end 12-1-2020. So editorial issue there. That has opened the door. We're now honoring that through Tuesday, 12-1. So end of business on 12-1, you still have your opportunity to get the deal. So you still have about two days left. Which is great. Take advantage of that again. This is this are, this are an awesome deal for, for those listening to, to get, like basically like Matt said a couple of times, $25 for a full year of VIP. Um, coverage and that's awesome for recruiting that's awesome for team insider news which we produce but one of my predictions which is a vip story every monday um was just that oregon was going to win the turnover margin which has been an area they've struggled and that's in part because you look at it ucla has not been good in turnover margin oregon took the ball away there oregon did not take the ball away against stanford cal sorry stanford oregon state um, or Washington State, and those teams have been really good at protecting the football. Cal has not been good at protecting the football. I think it's an opportunity to maybe win that battle. Um, we'll see what happens there. I, I think that's crucial. They, you know, if they're going to have some success here, and if they're going to continue to struggle on defense, because like I don't know how it might be a lot. I think it's a lot to ask to think like, okay, suddenly this front seven is just going to be awesome, and they're going to be holding Cal to like thirty yards rushing. I don't expect that. Cal's probably going to have. 100, 150 yards rushing at minimum, I would imagine. You've got to be able to find ways to, to force takeaways, to limit possessions for, you, for, for, for the Golden Bears. And I think it starts with forcing turnovers and limiting your own and making sure you just don't give Cal the short field because I don't think Cal's offense is very good. At the same time, we've seen a couple offenses that I don't think are very good have a lot of success against this Oregon defense. So I don't know what to expect from that regard. Now... Looking at the rest of the schedule, Cal this weekend, Washington next week at home, and then the third unknown game uh, against a Pac-12 South division opponent, if they can play play that game. Uh, part of me even wonders, like, can all 12 Pac-12 teams play in three weeks? Um, that's going to be an interesting scenario there to see it play out. Eric, your confidence in Oregon going – three and oh to finish the year at six and one and represent the pac 12 in the fiesta Bowl. because look playoffs out the picture but the playoff was probably it wasn't just a long shot it, it was extremely difficult to get to even if oregon went seven and oh because they're playing um they were they were playing potentially one ranked team all year maybe two uh, and they, they're, they're already playing fewer games than most of the conferences. Um, the, the league itself has, see, has seen massive cancellations, postponements, whatever. Um, the playoff was, while possible, ultra unrealistic. Oregon still can reach 
the more realistic goals going into the year, which was, hey, you win your conference, you win the Pac-12 North, and you go and you play in the Fiesta Bowl as the Pac-12 champion against another really good team. You win that game, you're 8-0 or you're 7-1 and or 6-2, and and you're still going to end the year somewhere at or inside the top 10. That goal is still attainable for Oregon. How realistic, how likely is it in your eyes that Oregon does run the table and go 3-0 in their final three games of the season to win the Pac-12? I think they're going to lose one more game. Where? Well, uh, prob- honestly, probably to Washington. But here's the other thing I'll say is that like Cal hasn't won a game yet. Washington is very lucky to have won over Oregon State and very lucky to have beaten Utah. Um, they handled Arizona pretty good, but like it's not like Washington is 3-0, but it's not like they've been just marching over everybody. And then USC, who's probably the most likely team that Oregon would face in a conference championship game, they struggled mightily to beat Arizona and Arizona State. I mean, so, so, so like I look at this and you know it's kind of funny because you see on the site people are like, well, why is Oregon at 11-point favorite over Cal? Or why is Oregon ranked at all? It's it's not just Oregon that's having a hard time right now. I think there's a up and it's up and down all over the country in part because it's a weird year. And I mean, why is Oregon 11 point favorite against Cal? Well, Cal hasn't beaten anybody and Oregon and Cal have played three of the same opponents so far. UCLA, Washington state, sorry, UCLA, Stanford and Oregon state and Oregon won two of those three games and lost one by three points. And Cal lost all three games and lost by 24 points to UCLA, which Oregon beat by three. So like, you know, Oregon should be a favorite against Cal. They have actually won football games. Cal hasn't shown the ability to do that. And I know Cal was this like preseason kind of trendy pick to do really well this year, and they just haven't shown it yet. And um, again, Washington hasn't exactly like world beaters. They're very fortunate to be three and zero. And the same thing with USC. So I, I, I think what gets overlooked a little bit here is Oregon struggling, but kind of so is all the all the other teams on their potentially on their schedule. I just look at the Washington thing and go, okay, that is a defense which is really good against the pass. Um, really good against the pass. That is their strength. That's their bread and butter. That could be a game where Oregon can't throw the football for really the first time all season. I mean, Tyler Shuck, for all the mistakes he's made throwing interceptions and, and just poor reads, they've been able to manufacture a lot of offense through the air. Um, they continue to be the second most effective pass offense in the conference just behind USC. They're averaging almost 300 yards passing games, like 280. That could be the game where, hey, they can't throw it. And if they can't run it effectively, which again remains to be seen, and Washington's not quite as good against the run as they are in the pass, they might have a hard time offensively. And defensively, I just don't have a lot of confidence in Oregon, period, against anybody. And Washington's offense hasn't exactly been like super impressive, right? They scored 21 points against Utah. What do they have, like 27 against Oregon State? Yep. Um, I, I, think, I think probably the real reality here is, is it's going to really come down to the defense to win these games. I think Oregon's offense is going to be good enough to win football games, and we've seen it all year. It's just can the defense make the steps you know, necessary? I think they're going to beat Cal. I wouldn't be surprised if they cover. Um, I think Washington's yeah. going to be really tough. Cal is the worst team in the conference in a yards per play perspective offensively in the Pac-12 at, at 4.86. Terrible. Oregon is the top offense in the conference. Um, even with what happened in Oregon State in that fourth quarter, in that second half, Oregon's 7.51 yards per play is considerably higher than everybody else. Washington State is second, uh, 6.8. 
Washington is middle of the road in the Pac-12. They are sixth in the conference, 5.9 yards per play on the offensive side of the football. They've played three games. Uh, Oregon has played four. Um, you want to look at who rips off the most plays in a game this season. Uh, Oregon is third in the conference, 262, but they're the, they're the lowest among the three schools who have played four games, UCLA, Oregon State, and Oregon. Um Defensively, let's look at this real quick. Who who is Oregon playing from a total defensive standpoint? Yards per play allowed. Uh, Cal is fifth in the conference at five point five six. They have Washington still on the schedule. They are second in the conference at five point oh one. So you're playing two of the better defenses from a yards perspective. Um, points per game allowed. Cal is seventh, so middle of the road. They are just a hair above Oregon. Cal is 29.7 points allowed per game. Oregon is 29.8. Washington is number one, 23 points per game allowed this season. Um, you want to look at some other statistics, third down conversions. Uh, what defense is giving up You know, a lot of first downs? Cal is eighth in the, co- in the conference at 42.86. Oregon is seventh at 40.98. Washington, number one, 30.77. I, mean, I, I think Oregon's going to play the toughest defense they will play all year in two weeks, and that's Washington. I think I'm with you that it wouldn't surprise me if Cal is going to cover, but like I said in Reacher Stadium, uh, I will no longer pick Oregon to cover a game this season until they do so um, in, in a good fashion. So I, I probably won't be taking Oregon uh, covering the Cal spread unless it's incredibly small. Um I think it's 11 right now, and that kind of feels right about right, and I'll probably pick Cal to, to lose by 10 um, early on this week. But looking at the schedule, I, they've got one week to kind of get themselves right before they play Washington, which is looking like is going to be their toughest opponent all season long and by far uh, the best team that they will have played. And quite honestly, like part of me says that Washington, we don't really know how good they are because they should have lost to Oregon State. They should have lost to Utah, but they didn't. They made the plays that were needed to win those games. And the second half uh, against Utah this past weekend was damn impressive. And how they ripped off 24 unanswered points to win this game. Their defense created multiple turnovers. That's Oregon's issues right now offensively. The, their front seven is is pretty good against for the Huskies. They've got they always have good defensive backs. Um, it, it it it's a game in which. It wouldn't surprise me if Oregon has issues moving the football against the Huskies. Will Oregon finish 3-0? and um, I'm with you. Right now, I, I think it's – it wouldn't shock me one bit. It, it wouldn't no. be the – you know, you, you asked me if they win this game against Oregon State by one point, and my answer is probably different And that I would say yes. They would come back and they would win – uh, their final three games and finished the year undefeated, but they lost to Oregon state in the manner in which they did. I have a hard time saying, yes, they are 100% going to go three and zero the rest of the year. I'm with you. I think they probably lose a game, but I'm going to cheat and say both answers and that, you know, like, <laughs> like if they come out against Cal and they do what they were supposed to do against Oregon state and they look really good on both sides of the football, my, t- my, my tune will change. But today, on the 30th of November, I think they're going to probably lose to Washington as well. or they, They're going to lose to the Washington or USC. 
they, they if they beat Washington, they go into the conference championship game and they play the Trojans. I think they're going to lose the USC because that offense is prolific. Um, Oregon's defense is not good right now, and I, I think they lose that. Or they lose to they lose to Washington, and then they beat whoever they play in the Pac-12 South because it won't be USC, uh, and they go from there. But right now, it's looking like the league is uh, really evenly balanced, and I think Oregon has kind of taken a little bit of a step back, and it's now up to them to ensure that they can take that step forward again. I think the one thing we, we aren't accounting for is just a lot of improvement possibly from Oregon. Maybe this truly is a wake-up call. And I feel like we've been saying that now for a couple of weeks here of like, oh, maybe they'll just kind of wake up and figure it right. out. And we haven't seen it. So, but like, it, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility in my mind, at least that like we see a really impressive performance in Cal at Cal and they win handily and they come back against Washington at home. And they win that game handily. Um, and then we're talking about this season totally different. And we go, hey, they had a tough game in the rivalry game against Oregon State, but they really figured it out. That speaks to the resolve of this program. That's also a possibility. But I probably think it's more likely that they beat Cal in a pretty close game just because they aren't playing very well on defense and they can't really stop anybody. And then they really struggle against Washington. They end up beating, I don't even know who the heck it's going to be. Maybe it's UCLA again in the Pac-12 crossover game on December 19th and you look up and you go well they went five and two it was a really disappointing season um I guess four and two sorry no five and two at that point um but hey they're going into a bowl game they win that bowl game they go six and two and you go well it was a weird year Oregon didn't play very well but at least they finished kind of strong I don't know I kind of feel like it's probably going to be the second option rather than the first it's going to be fun seeing how this season plays out you can read about the entire year, our coverage on DuckTerritory.com. Basketball is kicked off as well. You can also take advantage of our 75% off promo, which apparently we started the podcast thinking it was over today, but we got an email saying that there was some clarifications and it will now be over on Tuesday, December 1st, 75% off. $26.85 for the entire year of Duck Territory coverage. Join our membership We've got a huge Oregon Duck community waiting for you to jump in and join the conversation. So for Eric Scopel on the podcast, I'm Matt Prem. Thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you there, folks.